Greetings and welcome to In Tune with VHBC, a podcast about music and worship at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. I'm Marty Watts, Minister of Music at VHBC. In today's episode, I'll talk with music ministry participant and hymn writer, Milburn Price. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Now let's get in tune. Today's episode is going to be a little different. Rather than me sharing about a hymn, my conversation with Milburn Price will include discussion of his own writing of hymn texts and tunes. Milburn Price previously served as Minister of Music at Vestavia Hills Baptist. He was also on the editorial team of the Celebrating Grace hymnal, which our church uses. In our hymnal, there are eight hymns to which Milburn contributed texts, tunes, or both. He also did the harmonization for an African-American spiritual. Today's episode concludes with the singing of the hymn, At the Name of Jesus, by the Congregation of Vestavia Hills Baptist Church, accompanied by the Church Orchestra and Dr. Beth McGinnis at the organ. The tune for this hymn was written by Milburn Price and named Barbara after his wife. It's an honor for me today to welcome to the podcast, Milburn Price. Um, I am grateful for him taking time to talk with me today and to share this uh, this conversation with the folks who are listening. And I have to say, before we get started, as I've looked at all the folks involved in the music ministry at Vestavia Hills Baptist, I have known Milburn Price the longest. Uh, so this is a special, uh, a special treat for me to get to have this conversation. Welcome, Milburn. Thank you. Good to be with you, Marty. We, uh, I have known you, I guess, since the fall of 1997 or the spring of 1998 when I uh, first began the um, application and audition process to be a student at Samford. So um, it's been a while. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, tell us first, I guess, a little bit about what you're involved with at church. Obviously, uh, singing in the choir and um, well, right, right now, uh, of course. In the days of COVID, my involvement with the church has been watching on uh, on the video on Sundays. Yes. But uh, in, in normal times, I sing in the sanctuary choir. Of course, part of my connection with the music ministry of the church was that uh, I served as part-time minister of music for the first nine years we lived in, in Birmingham, working with Gary Furr. But in more recent years, uh, I've been singing in the choir and been one of the teachers of the Joyful Noise Sunday School class. And I have also served as a deacon before at the church. Yes, and uh, it, this was unintentional, but I think you and the last maybe two or three uh, episodes have been members of the Joyful Noise Sunday School class. And they oh, really? Each, yes, and they've each said uh, just how much how special that group of people is and how wonderful the teaching uh, is week to week. So um, you've got to a good group there, I know. We, we have a good team of teachers, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, nominating committee, is that right? That's right, yes. I, in fact, I'm on the nominating committee now and, and have served on that before also. And with our pastoral transition and all of the uh, 
the behind the scenes work that's going on to get uh, the transition team and then later the search committee in place, you have you and the nominee can be have quite a lot of work to do. <laughs> and with the, the need now to uh, make nominations for our officers and teachers for the new church year coming up, but this is a busy time for us. Yes, yes. Well, important work and we're we're grateful. I, I think I mentioned um, uh, that it was because of the thorough work that the nominating committee did that our church is able was able to um, to put in place the transition team. And there was uh, little to no discussion about that. It looks like a wonderful group. And um, your the committee did great. Uh, great we felt very, very positive about the group of people who agreed to serve in those roles. Yeah, good, good. Um, well, I'm curious uh, about your uh, background in music, uh, maybe your childhood experiences with music and how that um, led you into adulthood and obviously a career uh, in music. Well, I, I sometimes say jokingly that if my theological inclinations did not lean toward Arminianism rather than Calvinism, I would say that I was predestined to be a church musician. <laughs> my, my earliest memories are sitting with a babysitter in the church where my parents attended during my early years of life. That was before they had nurseries for children. And uh, my mother was the church pianist in the little town of Scuba, Mississippi. And my father was the volunteer uh, song leader. And uh, those roles, actually, as we moved around from place to place before we finally settled in Ellisville, Mississippi, when I was a fourth grader, in two other churches, the same roles. In fact, when we went to Ellisville, uh, my father was volunteer song leader and choir director, and my mother was the church pianist. So I spent a lot of time uh, sitting in uh, on Wednesday nights. I would actually sit in choir rehearsals. In fact, I remember a nice lady. When I was five years old in Vicksburg, Mississippi, a nice lady in the soprano section would let me look on her music while I sat in choir rehearsal. Wow. What uh, what kind of uh, church services or what kind of music would be involved in those services where your parents were leading? Oh, let's see. In the earliest years, the hymnal was the Broadman hymnal. In the later years, it was various uh, iterations of the Baptist hymnal. Uh, in some of those earlier ones, it uh, I guess the hymn fair was uh, gospel songs, typical you know, Broadman hymnal, B.B. Uh, McKinney, and uh, the other typical gospel song writers. Uh, and th that was my background. Yeah. Uh, did you do music uh, into junior high or middle school and then into high school? Uh, actually, uh because I was all I was involved in the church music program, mm -hmm. uh, I was not able to participate in music in my early in my junior high and early high school years, because I played high school football and basketball, and the choirs rehearsed during that time. However, uh, I went to high school at a school that met on a junior college campus, Jones County Junior College in Ellisville, Mississippi. And my last two years of high school, I actually sang in the junior college choir because there was not a conflict with that and high school activities, high school sports activities. Mm -hmm. um, not surprisingly, but I continue to hear about the importance uh, that the church music programs have played in people who are now musicians in church mm -hmm. as an adult. Uh, and so I'm not surprised that that was the case for you as well. 
Yeah, that that was uh, just a standard part of my background. Of course, so, I, I was in church, even though I was not singing at school, at church, I was singing in youth choir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, from high school, where did you where did you continue your education? University of Mississippi and uh, until oh until about six weeks before uh, time for school to start, I had planned to go to the junior college in my hometown. I'd been offered a basketball scholarship there and um, had had been offered an academic scholarship at Ole Miss, but it wasn't enough to, uh, to cover the cost of education. So my, my plan was to spend two years in junior college at Jones Junior College and then go to Baylor to finish my undergraduate degree. But six weeks before school started, the basketball coach at Ole Miss came down and offered me a partial basketball scholarship, which to go along with the academic scholarship I'd already been offered, that made it possible to go to Oxford, Mississippi and spend four years at Ole Miss. And after that, Two years at Baylor for graduate school, uh, a couple of years in the Army, and then finished things off at the University of Southern California for my doctoral degree. I um, I did not know that story about the last minute uh, change to uh, to your your undergraduate. That's that's a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, it was uh, it was it really was a good opportunity because I, I enjoyed my experiences at Ole Miss uh, and. The experiences there opened a lot of doors later. Uh, there's a story that I, I um, hope you'll share related to your time in Southern California um, and uh, Barbara uh, helping how, how she earned money to help pay for your schooling. Well, actually, uh Barb, during during the years that uh, we were in Southern Cal, we started off, uh, I worked as part-time minister of music, and she worked at a savings alone in Pasadena, California. But the drive uh, between Los Angeles and Pasadena was terrible when traffic was bad. So we both changed jobs. I found a job in a church closer by. She found a job at, uh, at Southern Cal as receptionist for the vice president in charge of fundraising. But probably what you're talking about is a venture that both of us were involved with. Uh, after During the years in the Army, we had saved enough money to pay my first semester's tuition and one month of living expenses in Los Angeles. So we both got jobs. And then the tuition for the rest of my doctoral work was paid from earnings from NBC quiz shows. Barbara was on two and I was on two. And the earnings from those quiz shows funded my doctoral education. <laughs> I I love that story. And then I think there's a, a part two where the TV was on in your house many, many years later. Is that, is yes. that right? Yes. And, and, and an episode came on in which Barbara, that they were replaying one of the episodes that Barbara was on. Yes, we, we said that uh, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And who would ever thought that TV game shows would have paid for a cop for a doctoral education? <laughs> I, I love that story so much. <laughs> and and the second part about hearing hearing Barbara's voice from across the house. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, well, do tell us then about um, your career in music, where uh, when you finished your doctoral work, where you where you went from there. Sure. Uh, as I was finishing my doctoral work, I ended up uh, having the good fortune 
of being able to make a choice. I had two job offers. One was to stay at uh, the University of Southern California. They were expanding their church music department, and I was offered the new position there. But at the same time, I was approached by Furman University. And one of my goals in pursuing doctoral work in first place was to be able to teach church music in a Baptist uh, college or university. So after thinking and praying about it, Barbara and I decided that uh, the Furman position was was the one to accept, which made both sets of parents happy because we had a son by the end and they they were glad to have their grandson coming closer home. So we spent uh, 14 years in Greenville, South Carolina, 14 very happy years, uh, ended up leaving Furman out of a sense of call to go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, where I spent 12 years as Dean of the School of Church Music there. And then as things began to change at Southern Seminary in the, in the changes that took place in the Southern Baptist Convention in the late 70s and early 80s theologically, um, that became an environment that was not as comfortable for me theologically. And again, providentially, uh, God opened a door and I was offered the position of the, the dean of the school of what was then the School of Music uh, at Samford later became the School of Performing Arts. Yes, and that's that's where our paths first That's, uh, that's where we first met. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, how, how many years were you at uh, Southern and then at Samford? Okay, I, I was at uh, Southern for uh, 12 years. I was at Samford. Uh, I was supposed to be at Samford for 10 years until I reached retirement. When I came to Samford, administrators uh, were required to retire at 65. But at the time I was coming up on 65, we were in the midst of planning for expanding music facilities. So the trustees made an exception to their policy and they gave me a, a three-year extension on my deanship, long enough to raise money and uh, get the building almost finished. Actually, the, the addition to the music facilities were dedicated in October after I retired in the summer. So uh, I was able to attend the, uh, attend the dedication ceremonies, but, <clears throat> but it was actually finished after I, had, uh, after I had retired. Well, and after that, I would have to say, uh, my successor as Dean, Joe Hopkins, uh, decided it was not quite time for me to go out to pasture. So he invited me to continue conducting the orchestra and to teach one church music course a semester. So I did that another five years before we both agreed that it was really time for me to, to back away. And um, since then also, haven't you done a couple of uh, uh, visiting professor? Uh, I, actually, uh, I did three. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I just thought I was fully retiring when I, <laughs> I stepped away from Sanford. Three out of the next four years, I spent one year each at uh, Stetson University in Florida, Mercer University in uh, Georgia and Mississippi College. So, uh, as they say, uh, retirement doesn't mean that you have less to do. Well, Bar Barbara kept telling me that I was flunking retirement. And finally, finally, at age 77, I got wise enough to really retire. <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, you mentioned... Um, when you went to Furman that you had a son. Tell us a little bit about your, your family. Well, uh, we had one child, uh, Stephen, who along with his wife is now 
they are co-pastors together of uh, the Trinity United Methodist Church in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, Catherine was uh, a grew up Methodist, and she came to college uh, committed to a church music vocation and feel, feeling called to the pastoral ministry. So when they married, <clears throat> um, because Methodism was her tradition and that was where her connections were, uh, Stephen became a Methodist. Um, and in the first few years, traveled with her to her assignments, well, first to graduate school. And then he felt the call to the pastoral ministry. He was actually a business major in college, spent a few years work, working as a teaching tennis pro, and finally, he felt a call to pastoral ministry, went back to Duke Divinity School to get his MD, and uh, they were assigned to go to Florida to begin a new church as, as co-pastors of a, a new planted congregation. So a multi-generation uh, ministerial family then, for sure. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and where did you and Barbara meet? We met at Ole Miss. Uh, another interesting part of our part of the pilgrimage in God's providence. Uh, she came as a freshman my senior year. She had planned to go to Baylor. She and her high school boyfriend were going to Baylor together. But during the summer, they broke up and she decided she didn't want to go to Baylor with him uh, after they broke up. She came to Ole Miss. We met at freshman orientation and began dating a few few weeks later. By the end of the year, we were pinned. And when I transferred to Baylor, it just seemed natural for her to go back out there. And we were married uh, in the middle of our second year at Baylor. Um, Karen and I just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were watching uh, the video from from um, the wedding and uh, we remembered that you and uh, Barbara were able to join us. Uh, when we were married, so yes, that was a special, yes, we were uh, a special thing for us for sure. Um, well, I uh, I have to say that I am grateful for your um, the many ways that you have been uh, an influential person in my life, and I have to say that uh, your um, when I was trying to decide to go where to school uh, for college, that um, your um, the relationship that you built with me and with my family uh, was a big part of the reason that I chose Sanford. Uh, and well, you're, very, you're very kind. I, I was delighted that we were able to recruit such a good student to come to our church music program. <laughs> well, thank you. And um, two of my three siblings ended up at Sanford as well. So yes, <laughs> the, yes, I remember. One of, uh, so um, anyway, I, I appreciate that. And I'll share one other um uh, fond memory that I have uh, of the trips that the acapella choir took under your leadership mm -hmm. to Russia. And uh, it, it sticks out in my mind that for the semester or two leading up to that first trip to Russia, you enrolled in a Russian class. So I did. You... Yes. I, I studied Russian uh, uh, at Samford. There, there was a part-time instructor in the language department who taught Russian during the evening division. And uh, I spent a year studying Russian so that I would be able to at least converse a little bit on our tour. Well, I think uh, that's wonderful that you did that, but I think it also is reflective of the the approach that you take to um, those ministry and mission opportunities that the that the acapella choir engaged in, and and the way that you um, brought. Um, 
the way that you committed to that work uh, in such a special way and learning that language, I think that's yeah. wonderful. Well, it was, uh, I before we made our tour, in fact, our, our tour to Russia was really initiated by some uh, connections that I'd established with Russian Baptists. And that, that led to our planning, that, that first Russian tour, which we ended up making two tours to Russia. Mm -hmm. And on one of them, I actually connected with, one, with uh, some of those Russian Baptists. There was a very fine choir of Russian Baptist church musicians. And we had been invited to sing at Tchaikovsky Hall in Moscow and arranged to have that Russian Baptist choir share the stage with us uh, at Tchaikovsky Hall, which was a very meaningful experience. Mm. I, I remember uh, those those trips to Russia were a very special part of my uh, musical experiences at Sanford. So thank you for that. Uh, typically in a podcast episode like this, I would, by the time we get to the conversation, I will have shared about a hymn. It's the hymn writer, uh, the tune writer, if it's a different person, uh, the background of the hymn, maybe uh, the circumstances under which it was written. But today, I thought since you are a hymn writer, that it might be good uh, if you wanted to share about your hymns, maybe the process that you go through when you when you write a new hymn, uh, what inspiration you find uh, for those hymns and tunes that you've written as well. Mm. Oh, wow. That's a good question. Well, in, in the first place, um, typically the hymns that I have written through the years have been written for, spe for specific occasions. In fact, the very first hymn I wrote, 1967, my, that's a long time ago, uh, I was finishing my doctoral work at Southern Cal. I'd been invited to uh, direct the music for Baptist Student Week at Glorietta Baptist Assembly. And I came up with the idea of writing a theme hymn for that particular week. And in those years, uh, there would be Baptist Student Weeks at Glorietta Baptist Assembly and at Ridgecrest Baptist Assembly. And uh, so I wrote a hymn far, far Glorietta, where I was going to be uh, directing, and it ended up being used in Glorietta and Ridgecrest that summer. So that was my first hymn writing venture. And through the years, most of the hymns that I've written were written for either for hymn searches. I remember uh, probably the, the hymn that has been used most widely, Stir Thy Church, O God Our Father, was written for a hymn search sponsored by uh, the church music department of what was then the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, another one of my earlier hymns was written for a, a hymn search conducted by the Hymn Society. And other than that, most of the hymns that I've, that I've written have been commissioned for specific occasions here and there, either individual churches or uh, meet gatherings of church musicians. Uh, has the same been true of the tunes that you've written? Well, yeah, usually, uh, well, sometimes I've written text alone. Occasionally, I have written both text and tune together. And in one instance, I wrote a tune for a pre-existing text. Which, uh, if I remember correctly, is named after your wife. No, that, not, uh, yeah, that's, I, oh, that's a segment. I forgot. Oh. There, there are two, <laughs> yes. It, yes. When, um, when the editors of the Celebrating Grace Hymnal, which we use at the Stavia Hills, were compiling our hymnal, 
uh, they had chosen the hymn text at the name of Jesus as one of the ones to include, but did not particularly, the text and tunes committee did not uh, particularly care for the tune with which that text had previously been associated. So they asked me if I would uh, try my hand at writing a new tune. And when I did, I was fairly pleased with it. So once they accepted it, I assigned it to Barbara's name as the name of the hymn tune. Well, uh, at the end of this podcast episode, I actually have a recording of the congregation oh. of Vestavia Hill singing at the name of Jesus with the Barbara hymn tune. So, well, that, uh, that's, that's quite a coincidence. Yes, listeners on the podcast will get to hear, yeah. hear that tune. Um, that's that's wonderful. Um, anything else about your hymn writing that you 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 find as you kind of look back on since 1967, uh, I, I don't know if trends would be the right word, but um, sort of uh, how that has maybe uh, changed in those years. Well, the, the trend that there, there is one trend that, that has changed, and that is in the language of hymnody. Back when I first started writing hymns, um, hymns typically use thee and thou language, um, in referring to God, more recent years, uh, hymnal compilers have gone more to using you and your language. In fact, that first hymn of mine that was widely circulated was titled, Stir Thy Church, O God Our Father. Now it's Stir Your Church, O God Our Father. So the, the language has changed to reflect the changes in, in typical hymn writing. Um, themes have have remained fairly much the same. I'm, there are always new themes to write about as culture evolves, but you know the basic themes of faith are the themes that are present in in hymns and the content for for congregations to sing. Uh, that's interesting. You know, obviously, our our congregational song uh, has been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, but then, when we look even now in the last fifty or so, you know, the the idea of the changing language preferences and and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And you know, if we look at specific uh, cultural issues uh, through a faith lens, you know, those right. those are changing well. And as culture seems to change more quickly. Now than it used to, I can see that those themes also um, are reflected in in hymns that are being written. That's right. Thank you for sharing about your your hymn writing, and this is a real uh, treat to get to to learn a little bit about that from you. Well, um, it's a pleasure pleasure to talk with you. I, I appreciate you inviting me to do this. Well, thanks. I um, conclude all of these podcast uh, conversations with a question based uh, on the second half of John 10, 10, uh, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I'd love to hear from you what's bringing you life. Well, I guess uh, in the pandemic, even more so than in normal times, but, but always uh, at the center of my life has, of course, been faith, but also family. Uh, Barbara and uh, our son and his family, now two grandchildren, one of whom is also going into the ministry. I have a granddaughter who is a student at Duke Divinity School now. So uh, fam faith and family have, I, I would say, always been the, the centerpieces, the foundations, the things that, uh, that bring meaning to life. And of course, close after that are friends including former students who are friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and um, 
you you might also have to add um, tennis playing since uh, you and I scheduling this conversation. We're working around your, your weekly <laughs> tennis schedule, <laughs> which uh, well, I know there are lots um, of stories there to share. T- t- tennis has always been. I mean, I I picked up a tennis racket for the first time when I was six years old. We we lived in a small town of Summit, Mississippi, right across the street from the high school tennis courts, and. Uh, my dad used to have to run me off the tennis court to keep from pestering the kids from trying from teaching me how to play. So I, I played tennis all through the years and thoroughly enjoyed it. But Bar- Barbara would say that's more of an addiction than an avocation. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a true delight and a privilege to be able to share this time with you. Thank you so much. Enjoy talking with you, Marty. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's easy to find new episodes of this podcast if you subscribe. Today's episode concludes with the singing of At the Name of Jesus 